Amen. Yeah. Hallelujah. God is good, isn't he? So glad to be with you today as we worship and celebrate the Lord together. I uh, definitely didn't have enough time in the last service, kind of pushed it a little bit in case you were wondering why there were so many people here when you were trying to get in. Uh, so that means I hope you ate breakfast before you came. That was a joke, but let's do this, all right? I've been asking God for a Pentecostal-style move of God since I understood what it meant to have the Spirit of God move and awaken people. See, I was raised in the church, and I knew all the stories, and I knew all the Bible things. You know, I went to church, like, regularly. By the way, I just want to say this. Somebody came up to me after the first service, which I tried to say at the beginning. Like, there's a... You can go ahead and get up and walk, buddy. You don't have to belly crawl. It's all good. We know you're there. Uh, so, <laughs> anywho, I was one of six kids. I'm used to that craziness. It doesn't bother me at all. So here's what happened. Like, I was raised in the church. I knew all the stories. I went to church all the time, heard all that stuff. And not that I heard it all, knew it all. But you know how you mean. I'm like, I knew all the Bible stories. I went to Sunday school, church uh, in the morning, church at night. Young people's once I was 13 before church, Wednesday night church. We had revivals from Fridays to the following Sunday, so like 10-day revivals. I was there all the time. So I told this person, in the, uh, the, everybody in the first service, like, just stay with me, and there's a reason why we're talking like we're going to. So like he said, you know, the first part, I was trying to struggle to go through it, but wow, the second part was good. I said, well, you need the first part to get to the second part, so stay with me. All right? So I'm not saying it's going to be boring. I want you to know something. God's doing something, and we got to see the foundation of what God's doing and what he wants to do. And so as we look at some things, some of what I'm going to say is probably not all that exciting, and it shouldn't be. All right? But what we need is a move of God, and that's exciting. All right? So here's the deal. When I got saved, I finally came to that point. I was 19 years old. And a little while later after that birthday, whatever it was, that I came to Jesus. And the Spirit of God filled me. And I fell in love with Him. I had heard all about Him. I knew who He was. I knew all the stories. I knew how church worked. I went through all that stuff, but I didn't know Him. And there's a lot of people in church today that have the same ideas that I had. You know God. You know the stories. You know Jesus. You are, in your own mind, a Christian. But unless you have that relationship with God through Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, you don't. And there's a lot of people in church today that don't even know there's a relationship available. They simply know him in the stories. Now listen, when the Spirit of God filled me, I fell in love with him. I fell in love with his word. And I began to look at the word of God and read it, and I desired it. I wanted to know him. I wanted to know what it meant. And then we would come together for church. It was the same legalistic church I was raised in that I was going to church in. It's where I got saved, too. God can do anything. He's amazing. So it was in that church of what I, in my view, I'm not judging everyone in there, saw as a dead environment. Like, I was sitting there in the services, and the Spirit of God was on me, and I'm like hardly containing myself. Remember, I was that introverted kid and I would like be sitting there with tears coming out of my eyes and I had this flood of emotion over me and I'm looking around and everybody's just kind of like there. And I'm like, what is wrong? What is happening, God? Why is it that they don't know this? Why do they not get excited? Why are they not on fire for God? And everybody's like, oh, isn't he cute? You know, 
That's what we treat new believers like. You know, they'll get over it. <laughs> they'll like, you know, they'll come down from this emotional ride and stuff. And, you know, like, it's not about an emotional ride. It's about the Spirit of God changing us. Okay, so this is what's going on. As we're traveling down that road then, I began to look around me and I was like, God, we need like some kind of something to happen. And I was invited to preach two weeks after I was saved. Like, this is crazy. This doesn't happen normally. I just want you to know. I was a brand new baby Christian. Two weeks later, I was asked to preach at a church about what God was doing in my life. God's so good. I was preaching two weeks later with no education and no training and anything, just in love with Jesus. And I don't... I mean, I really don't. I know God was in it. And from that day forward, all the way through today, as God just opened doors and it was like an opportunity to preach, no business preaching. I mean, I'll admit that to you right now. It's like, it was only God that opened those doors. And I look back, some of the notes I wrote, which I've thrown away by now, but I stopped, saved them for a while. I had stacks. And I'd look back there, and I was like, oh, God. <laughs> Oh, I'm so glad you can do something with the little nothing because that's so embarrassing and I threw it away. <laughs> okay, so what about all that? Well, you know, I began to look and I'm like, one of the passages that the Holy Spirit burned inside of me is found in Hebrews 13. And it was, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And man, I read that verse and I'm like, God, I see what you do in the Bible. I read through the book of Acts and I watched this fire that moved, lives being transformed and changed. And then I began to look at history and I saw how God moved across the globe, the face of the earth, how the Spirit of God moved and there was transformation and power and like entire communities and nations were changed because of God. And I read that and I'm like, God, like I see what your word says, but I look around me and I'm like, God, I don't see it. It's not there. It's not happening. And so I began to pray since I was 19 years old. God, before I die, not only do I want to see a move of God like what I read about, like what I've heard about, like what the Word of God says, but God, I want to be in the middle of it. I want to experience that, God. I want to see the Spirit of God move in power where people's lives are transformed and it just spreads as a move of God. Okay. So as we're doing this scene, completely led by the Holy Spirit, again, I want you to know. A few weeks ago, as I was going to St. Louis, as you know, I went there to be a delegate to the General Conference of the Church. I did not want to go. I hate not being here with you on Sundays. And if I'd have known in the beginning, which is why God didn't let me know, that it was on a Sunday, I would have declined my election. But when it got to that point and I was talking to God and wrestling with him about this, like, God, I want to resign and I want to give this up. There's no reason for me to be going. I need to stay here at home with the church and, you know, having that negotiation with them and, nope, you're going. But Lord, I mean to be here, you know, and it's like, nope, you're going. And I like, it's a business meeting. I hate business meetings. All right, I do. I'm like, there's no reason for it. Anyway, we want to go there. I went too far on that one last time. So we'll leave that alone. God said, you're going. So I went. As you know, I had Pastor Mike Filling. He's right over here. By the way, he was gone the week after. You can give him a little hand. We love you, Mike. Thank you. When I talked with him, I literally uh, said to him, I want you to know that I gave God permission to move while I was gone. <laughs> now, you know, you may be thinking, whoa, he's arrogant or maybe he's stupid or whatever. No, I mean, seriously, like, I was like, 
wrestling with God because I've been praying and asking for this since I was 19. And I do believe it's got to start and there's an igniting moment where the Spirit of God falls in fire and the move starts. And I have volunteered myself in this church to be where God like sends the fire. And I'm asking God to do it. And so like any time I'm not going to be here, I'm like, oh God, you know, I want you to move, but if you could just wait till I'm there, that'd be awesome, you know. I don't want to miss that. So, you know, like, that's why I was like, you know, God, it would be okay. You could just give him a good message and everybody would be happy he filled in. But like, you know, no, it's okay. You can fall on everybody if you want to. Just do your thing, God. I was watching online. So I wanted him to know that. I wanted God to know that. I mean that in a sincere way from my heart. I really like, okay, God, fall, move, make it happen. So the Spirit of God gave an anointed message, and I knew God was all in it, just so you know. As I read and studied and looked at the awakenings that have taken place in history, and I see that happening in the book of Acts, there have been three awakenings that's since Pentecost. Pentecost was the first one, obviously, but there have been three that have swept the globe. <clears throat> Excuse me, since Pentecost. The very first move of God did not happen for almost 1,500 years after the book of Acts and Pentecost. If you know your history, you will know that there's that period in those 1,100, 1,500, don't quote me on the dates, I'm saying the dark ages as we call them, the church was dark. It was corrupt. People were being led to believe things that were not biblical or not from God. The church had risen in power in the late 300s all the way through this time frame where the church began to be corrupt and the leadership was seeking power and money and influence. Not God, but they were using God as their pedestal to rule the world. And the people... We're by and large illiterate. And they did not have the word of God, nor could they read it if they did. Therefore, the leadership of the church, who were the educated of the day, had the word. They taught the, the, the messages in Latin. The people didn't even know the word. And they would speak it as if it was God's, and they would dictate to them what they were supposed to do in response to God's message. What it was was a controlling faction of telling people what they wanted them to do to have a relationship with God through the church. It was called the Dark Ages for a reason. Now, I'm not telling you that everybody in that church was dark and evil. No, but the prominence of the church was. But there were always and always will be people that seek God and love Him. Even in the midst of confusion, they are seeking Him with all their heart. And it was here in the 1500s that one such Catholic priest named Martin Luther was seeking a relationship with God and his religion was leaving him empty. As he was leading the, the Catholic church that he was part of and he was teaching and instructing and all the things the church was saying there was an unrest inside of him and I'm not giving you a detailed history understand you can read all about his life Martin Luther grew uncomfortable 
in what he was practicing in his desire to know God and have a relationship. He could not find peace inside. And you know how good God is. When we seek him, the word of God says with all of our heart, he will be found by us. And therefore, Martin Luther, as he was seeking God in that time period of around 1517, the Spirit of God moved on him, and he saw in the book of Romans how salvation is by faith, not by works, but it is an act of relationship with God when you believe on Jesus Christ. And Martin Luther, a Catholic priest, was born again. He was saved, and the Spirit of God touched him. And Martin Luther was never the same. Because you can't be the same when the Spirit of God touches you and you enter into that relationship with God. And as he began to preach this truth and declare that truth to people, he was in direct opposition with the Pope and the leadership of the Catholic Church. That day, the social media was a little different. And so in that day, social media was, you wrote out your stuff... You took it out in the public square, you nailed it on a door, and what you were saying is, I'm making a statement. And then anybody else reading it would say, like, I'm going to make my statement, and we're going to meet in this public square and have a debate. Well, what Martin Luther did, October 31st, 1517, was named, uh, nailed 95 Theses to the Wittenberg Castle doorpost, saying, like, hey, these are the things that are wrong and untrue, this is what God says, and he lined it out. Because of that, of course, he was called to Rome. He was called to recant on his teachings, to step in line with the church, and if he didn't, he would be removed, and he would be executed. Well, Martin Luther was transformed by the Spirit of God, man. There was no way that he was going to not preach the word of God and the fact that there was a relationship with him and the corruption that was in the church was not what God was all about. So, there was an edict put out for him to die. If you know the history, you know that Martin Luther took that papel bull, which was the thing from the Pope saying, you're done, and he took it out in that square and he lit it on fire and burned it. In other words, he was saying... Never mind. That's what I think of you. That's what he was saying. Don't care. It's all about what God wants, right? So he's going to die. So his friend had him kidnapped. Martin Luther's friend set it up to kidnap him on the road. Martin Luther knew nothing about it, kidnapped him, hid him in his castle. And he did this to save his life. But God was up to something. I want you to hear me, church. You know, it's crazy how sometimes stuff happens in our life and we don't really get it. Like, Martin Luther didn't know this was his friend. He probably thought it was the Pope and he was done for when he got grabbed. But it was God saving his life. And as he went into that room in that castle, what did he do? He began to translate God's word from Latin into German because he was from Germany. And he began to translate the word of God into the common people's language. And it just so happened in this point in time in history that Gutenberg developed the press. And they printed the word of God in the common person's language. And for the first time, people could read and know God's word for themselves, not just what the church told them it was. Well, what happened? 
A reformation happened where the Spirit of God moved. People were taking off and leaving the Catholic Church. They were following God, getting saved. A move of God was taking place. And it's where the Protestant Church, our history, came from. The Spirit of God moved. Man, it's amazing. Well, what happens? As you travel forward in history from that 1517 and about 1565, the, the Protestant movement has now kind of slowed. It's become organized. It's become almost what it left. It became liturgical, religious, and pretty much empty. Again, not everybody, but by and large, that church did this. There was a need for an awakening. And if you study your history, there's this thing called the First Great Awakening that took place in the 1730s through the 1740s. And it was here in this arena. If you just hear this, church, if you listen to what was happening in the world, it's amazing to me. It's, if we just look at history, we can learn so much. But listen, this is what was happening in this time frame. There was this movement, a European philosophical movement, known as the Enlightenment, or the Age of Reason. So what was going on was there was a move throughout the world about our own intellect, how smart we were, and what we could accomplish, and who we were. In this movement that was happening, in this Enlightenment age, it was spreading around the globe and influencing the Americans as well. As it moved, there was a leaving of the church. There was no need of God. There was no need of a church because now we were enlightened. We had knowledge. We had understanding. We could see the world in a brand new way. And the enlightenment thinkers emphasized scientific approaches and logic. I'm talking about the 1700s, so stay with me. See, that was what was happening around the world. So as a result of that, you know, the scientific logical approach downplayed religion. It saw that God was a vehicle for the ignorant and therefore he was not necessary nor was he anything that they needed to embrace because now we were smart <laughs> okay so what happens is the church has already become back into a kind of liturgical religious event people are disenchanted there's no real impact in their life. Nobody's like staying in the word of God. They have it now, but it's no longer a value in their life. They're stepping into this new world and this new world idea. In this complacency, God always moves. He always does. So here it is, this... <laughs> They like any other. John Wesley was an Anglican priest. Um, by the way, the Anglican church was born because the king didn't want the money going to Rome, so he created his own church and changed a couple of the rules of the Catholic church to create the Anglican church, which is part of the Presbyterians and all that. They come from that side, just so you know some of the history. But he created that church so that the monies would stay in England and not go to Rome. 
and he wanted a divorce and the Pope wouldn't give it to him so therefore you know he's going to create his own church so he can get what he wants I mean that's a good reason to start a church so anyway this is what was going on as the Anglican church in England grew and was strong uh, in this day the educated were the clergy they were the most educated they went to Oxford and places like those were Christian schools in the beginning you know all those places so they were very highly educated John Wesley was one of these very educated individuals he knew law uh, medical. He was a super smart, like a genius in today's world, and he was an Anglican priest. Now, Wesley, being a leader in the church, came over to the colonies, to Georgia specifically, to go and bring the enlightenment of God to the heathen. There was a great storm that came up, and he was terrified for his life. Petrified. Same ship, there was a group of con uh, Congregationalists, which nobody knew of in that day, hardly that were over here on the same ship during the same storm singing songs and praying. And he was like, what in the world is with those people? And so when the storm was over, he went right over to them and fought, uh, found their leader who was a pastor. And he went to him and said, what are you guys doing? And what, are, what is this all about? And so he told him about salvation by faith, the relationship with God and what the Holy Spirit can do in you. On the way over to Georgia, John Wesley was hearing this teaching and looking at it, and as they parted, that pastor said to him, look, you just preach that truth until you get it. That's what he told him. John Wesley, and he wrote in his journal, he's like, I'm going over here to save the pagan heathens. Who will save me? His emptiness was inside of him, and he knew it. He went back to England as a priest, miserable and hopeless because he was empty whole while doing church serving communion doing infant baptisms doing everything the church told him to do but he was empty and there it tells us in his journals that he went down on Aldersgate Road and it just so happened you know who he happened to be looking at was the readings of Martin Luther on the book of Romans and as he saw that and he saw how salvation is by faith he'd heard about it He'd seen it in those people's lives. He said right there in that moment, my heart was strangely warm. Why did he say those words? Because he had never felt the Spirit of God in him before. Church, he'd gone through all of his religious life, and he didn't even know what it meant to have a relationship with God. And the Spirit of God filled him, and he began to preach with anointing, salvation, holy perfection, the move of God that God needed to move in the hearts and lives of people. And guess what? The church kicked him out. You can't preach that here. Well, now we have a problem because here's this guy who was highly educated, who was taught in his church education that you had to be in the house of God to hear the word of God, to give out the sacraments. It has to be done by an ordained clergy and it has to happen inside the walls. That's the only way church should happen. And now he has no church. At the same time, there were men of God like George Whitfield and others who were already having been removed from their churches that were preaching out in the valleys, the streets, and the communities. And so George Whitfield invited John Wesley and said, come on, you got to see this. And thousands of people were showing up. And George Whitfield would get up and preach the message and people were coming to Christ. And so John Wesley, against all of his religious practice and learning, began to preach outside. 
and the Spirit of God began to move. God was doing something. There was a need of an awakening in the church. And as the Spirit of God began to move, there were so many people that God was calling into this relationship that it spread across from England all the way into the American colonies. John Wesley never intended to start a church of his own. Never. Not that he was starting a church of his own. I mean, he didn't want to start another church. He wanted to see God save and redeem the Anglican church that he was a part of because he believed in it, even in its brokenness. <laughs> well, see, this guy that God changed created the first what we call small groups, even though Jesus modeled it and they had it in the New Testament. The church really didn't do it, but he called them holy clubs. And there was like five people that would be a part of these clubs that met periodically through the week. And they were all about accountability. So when you met together, you were like, have you sinned this week? And then everybody would answer. And then they say, did you just lie about that? <laughs> I mean, for real, that was one of the questions. Are you living the faith? Are you sharing that? All that, it was accountability. It's like, are you living the truth of the transformation of the gospel? And these holy clubs began to spread because people's lives were being changed and they were living different and they were sharing their faith with other people. And so that methodology that was used is why everyone began to call them Methodists and that's how the Methodist church was born. And if you look across our country and drive through any small town, you'll see a Methodist church there. It's because the Spirit of God was moving in people's lives and they weren't waiting for the church to do something. God was moving in that and He was doing something. And therefore, then, they were ordaining guys like Dave, who had no education, but God was calling them, and therefore, they ordained them as men and women of God to preach the gospel, and they began to preach the gospel. And God was moving. God doesn't need the hierarchy of the church to say, this is okay and bless it. God is all about doing God's stuff. Well... You may not be excited about this, but obviously I do get excited about it. And I'm telling you there's a reason. Because see, as we look at this and we watch what's happened in our history, we read the word of God and we look around us, there's so much that we have to see right now, church, today. Because you see, as that church, the Methodist church itself, began to grow and become the largest Protestant denomination in the world, it also started to lose the power of the Spirit of God because it became organized, somewhat liturgical, and the Spirit of God was no longer freely moving. It's crazy, man, that we keep seeing this cycle of stuff that happens. Okay, so what's going on now? As we see the move of God that's taking place, the church becomes stale empty of power, empty of the Spirit of God's movement, and we just kind of revert back to where we came from. Religious social gatherings, that's the way it is. Well, God's faithful, man. He's so faithful. So now we're in need of another move of God, and I'm talking about in history. And so as we look, there's this thing called the Second Great Awakening that took place in the late 1700s, around the 1790s, and it lasted into around the 1830s as the Spirit of God once again began to move. The spectacle of the church had come in such a way that um, 
the poor were kind of left on the outskirts. The prominent people, the big givers and everything, they had the front seats in the church. Obviously, we don't have any of them today. Because <laughs> they would parade themselves down the center aisle and take those front seats because it was about being seen and being spiritual and being important. Their names would be on the end of the seats because their family gave so much to the church. The people in the back were all the poor, those that didn't have many means, and they were just there because they knew they needed God, but they really weren't participating. They were just there. And so obviously when you see this, there's that, you know, eh, about being in church. Why would you? I don't want to be a part of just like, eh, I got other things to do in my life. Well, at the same time, see, there was political tension in our young nation. If you know your history, we became a nation in 1776. We're talking about the 1790s to 1830s. So our nation was very young. And what had happened in the first great awakening over in England and in all of Europe there was God had used John Wesley and William Wilberforce and the Spirit of God to abolish slavery in England. Well, slavery existed in the United States. And there was this tension that was happening in our nation that was happening this way. Now, you got to hear me, because if you know your history, you'll know this. The states were in tension with the federal government about who is what authority. That's kind of going on right now, isn't it? Like, who's really in charge of what? And do we have to do what you say? Do you know that our city this week voted to pass a thing that if the Supreme Court, you know, overturns Roe v. Wade, that we in our city won't follow that? You know, that same tension, like, you're not over me. I'll do what I want. That kind of thing. It's going on. It was happening in the 1700s. So the deal is, is that what was going on at this time, there was a fighting for who was in power and who would be what. The slavery issue was a hot point in the culture. Abolitionists who were moved by God to begin the, the movement here in the colonies to set the slaves free, and the slaveholders were all engaged in this social battle about who was going to have the power and the right thing to do. Okay? Now, just stay with me here. At the same time in this unrest, this disenchantment with the church, this confusion in culture, alcohol began to run rampant through our nation. It was the drug of choice of the day. And it was consuming our culture. Civil rest was high. Unrest, I should say, was high. Church leaders saw the decline in the church as they had watched from the swell of the first great awakening now temper off. And they were watching as people were no longer coming to church. People's lives were being wrecked. Nobody was following the things of God. And it was, of course, in this time that those who wanted to know God were seeking Him. And they were, oh God, we need to move. And so God began to stir the hearts of people. And in this awakening, he stirred the hearts of individuals to begin to preach the truth because something had evolved and taken place from the first great awakening that caused the subdued spirit movement. What took place was a theological belief in predestination. 
Listen, because in predestination, you can justify anything. And so those that were in leadership who believed in predestination, if you don't know what that is, it's that you're just predetermined about everything you're going to do in your life. And if you're going to make it to heaven, God already determined that. And if you're not going to make it, he's already determined that. You don't have a will. So in that movement, what took place then in the logic of people, remember, we're going back to logic, was the fact that, well, obviously God destined the black people to be slaves. So therefore, they should be. And therefore, a woman doesn't have any rights. She doesn't need to be educated because God has determined her to be a servant to the male. And so in that environment and in that climate, you see, the ideals of the religious teaching of predestination also saw myself as a man of God as I'm, I'm amazing <laughs> because obviously God has chosen me and not you. And therefore, I am somebody and you're not. And so you see what was happening around that why the church was dying and why there was no passion for God or the Spirit of God because there's no point. You're either in or out. You don't have a choice. So in this second great awakening, there was a stirring of God that was calling people to understand they had a choice to make. And it was up to you to step into this relationship with God that he was inviting you into. And it didn't matter if you were a slave or if you were a woman or if you were an illiterate. God died for you and he loves you and he's calling you into relationship. Wow, isn't that amazing? So one of the guys that started preaching this was Charles Finney, who was educated as a lawyer and then he became a, a pastor in the Presbyterian Church in New York. And this intellectual, smart, influential man began to preach that message to all. And what happened was he started setting up tents. Some of y'all know you've been to camp meetings, tent meetings, revival meetings. It was birthed in the second great awakening. And when he did this, he set up the tent and they began to call people and they were preaching the word of God with fire and power and the Holy Spirit. Do you know what happened right here? It was the first time in the church the sexes were allowed to sit together. I'm talking about the second great awakening, you understand? Like prior to that, the women and the men came into the church and separated. Pause. Is that why? Maybe. Paul said to the church in Corinthians, hey, tell the, wife, the women to be quiet. Talk to their husbands when they get home with their questions. Maybe, and it's not a maybe, it's a fact. It's because over here were all the women folk. Over then were the men folk. And Mrs. Smith would yell across to Mr. Smith, hey, what's he talking about? What does that mean? Is this what he's talking about? And so when everybody's wives asking the questions, there's confusion in the church. So he said, hey, just be quiet. Wait till you get home and ask those questions. Oh, now we're like, whoa, let's jump all over that. Women, you just need to shut up and not talk in church. Know your facts, man. Look at history. All you got to do is know what was going on because you know what? In the very same book, the apostle Paul said, when a woman talks, so at one point he says, don't. Now he's telling him to do it. Hey, I should probably understand what he's meaning here. It's not maybe as black and white as I think it is. 
When she prays or speaks, tell her to cover her head. Oh, every woman should have their head covered then. It's like, come on, man. Guys, all we have to do is look at history, look at what's happening in our culture, look what's happening in their culture, and we will understand some of the things that we get confused about in the Word of God. We already looked in, in Acts when the Holy Spirit was being poured out on men and women alike, and they were going to prophesy men and women alike. God was calling people to speak his truth. God's not confused. It's, the Bible's not confusing. If we're confused, we're confused. God knows what he's doing. So those of you that want to get hung up there, fine, let's move on. Let's see what God's doing, right? So what's happening in the second great awakening is the affirmation of the truth of where God says in his word, the apostle Paul writing the church, there's neither slave nor free, Jew nor Greek, male or female. We're all one in Christ. So you mean all of a sudden people were preaching the truth of the word of God and then God was moving? Yeah! What do you think? Why was there an awakening? Because we need God's word, not the church's ideas. So the movement began to confront the ideals of all these things, and God was moving. Sorry for yelling at the internet. You guys stay with me. <laughs> so what's cool is then now we see that the slaves could be saved. Oh, Jesus loves the black folk. Come on, man. Seriously, don't be offended. It's like true. That's what was happening. So guess what God does? A phenomenon happens. There's a move of God that takes place in and amongst the slaves. God's so good, man. You know, God called this guy called Black Harry. You know the culture of the day, so don't be offended. that. That's what they called him, Black Harry. And he was the first... African-American Methodist pastor and he was an illiterate. During, during these camp meetings, the Spirit of God stirred this dude and he began to hold revival meetings among the slaves. And the same spirit that was breaking in on the camp meetings was breaking in on the slave communities. And the word of God was transforming the black community. And the power of God was moving. See, God doesn't need an educated person. <laughs> Proof right here. God doesn't need that. What God is looking for is a vessel that is open to let him be God. Oh, man, he's amazing. So one of the things I forgot to mention here during these camp meetings was the introduction of the altar in the church service. So what was going on was as the Spirit of God was moving in these services, the Holy Spirit would fall. And you can read witnesses and accounts of people that have written stuff in history about these movements where they would come out of curiosity because there was thousands of people coming and it was impacting everywhere. And so they would come to the service just to watch the show because it would get a little crazy. And the Spirit of God would fall on them. And they would literally be held in their seat where they couldn't move. And it says many accounts of the same reactions of people was they were locked in their seat. They felt the presence of something shaking them until they could do nothing but 
move forward. As an altar call was given. See, prior to this moment, the altar wasn't in the church. Not like that. Not where it was like a mourner's bench is what it was called. Where people were mourning over their sin and the need of God in their life. And so Charles Finney actually introduced this to the camp meetings. And they'd set up a bench in the front and they would call people to repentance. Guess what? Romans 12, what Pastor Mike shared a few weeks ago, presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice. The call that comes from the Old Testament, understanding that the altar was where the death happened to appease God and the giving of life through him. And so the altar was introduced as, hey, you need to come here and die to self and allow God to fill you and lift you up in, in this relationship with him. And it happened, folks. I was blown away a few years ago when I realized from other pastors that they don't have altar calls in churches. I was like, you what? We don't have altar calls. I'm like, why not? Why do you not ask people to respond to God by asking them to come forward? Why wouldn't you do that? Like, well, you know, we don't want people to be uncomfortable is the number one response. And you know how churches do this? Now, no disrespect to anybody doing it. I'm not. This is Dave talking. So don't be uncomfortable. Well, you can be uncomfortable. That's okay. I just want you to know the way I view this, and I have for many years. Today, in the modern church of calling people to Jesus, I was part of this when I was a kid. I, I was in services where this happened. Everybody bow your head and close your eyes. Nobody looking around. If you want to make a commitment to Jesus, just put your hand up. So you're going to go like this. And like, I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Nobody looking around. Like, we don't want anybody uncomfortable. Like, I'm making a statement that I want to follow Jesus, but we don't want anybody else to know about it. It's like, what in the world is that all about? Are you kidding me? Seriously, church, if you can't stand up and say, I need Jesus in my life, you're never going to stand for him out there. You're going to fall. And so the thing that we do is I'm like, like, you need to call them out. Call them forward. Don't tell me how many people raise their hands. I could care less. I mean, I can tell everybody right now, raise your hand and most of you will do it. Whatever, you know, I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm saying like, hey, everybody, let's raise your hand. Hey, wow, man, we had like 75 salvations today. That's amazing. Has anybody's life changed? I don't know. What in the world? Man, there's this call of God. We should all be looking around. We should be walking forward, begging God to transform our lives. We're sick of the sin we're living in. We need God, right? So every eye up. Everybody looking around, who needs Jesus in the house, right? I mean, seriously, it's crazy, man. Anyway, we I said I wasn't going to get off on that. Let's do this. Um, there were other people moving. God was moving through, not just Charles Finney. He's one of my, like, heroes of the Christian faith in the past. Not that he was all great either. I mean, nobody is, right? But Lyman Beecher, Antoinette Brown, guess what? God used a woman in this movement. Oh. I don't know what he was thinking. Uh, Francis Asbury, uh, Peter Cartwright, and these are just some of the names I'm throwing at you. Some of you maybe know some of your history and you know those people. And so as God's moving and churches are starting, there wasn't enough pastors to go around, which started the whole ordaining of the average Joe. 
as God laid their hands upon them to move them into ministry. So they had the, you know, horseback riders. They would run, uh, not run, they would ride. And John Wesley was one of these, right? You'd have a circuit. So like here, Dave's pastor of the Wesleyan Church in, in Tucson. So I'd be like, I'm preaching here this day. And now that we're done, I'm going to get on my horse and I'm going to ride over there on golf links to New Life and I'm going to have services there. So whatever day I show up, that's church day. doesn't matter if it's Sunday or not. We gather together because the pastor's in town. Let's go have church. Get on my horse, ride on down to Sarita. Now we're down there with my church. Everybody come from Sarita. Let's have church. Get on my horse and ride up here to the foothills to uh, Foothills Community Church. We'll have church here. Then out to Red Rock, right? That's the way it was going on. People were coming out by the droves because we wanted God to move, and God was moving. Pretty cool stuff, man. It's amazing how. See, God doesn't need all of our abilities. He just needs us to just surrender. Okay. So let's move on. Uh, the main thing behind this thing was the free will of people and that we had a role to play in receiving salvation. And it was during this free will movement the entire church in the American colonies and the world was changed. It really was. There is a, a move of God that the vast majority of, of people no longer believe in predestination. There are some. I know because I'm in Michigan. So the, the Reformed Church is one of them that believes in predestination. Uh, there are some of those people that are still out there. But, hey, the gospel's good for everybody and we just need to come to God and let him do his thing. So... This all happened and the emancipation of the slaves happened in America. So as you know your history, you go back into the Civil War, there's this movement that's happening by God, but then it has to become political. Now we know this, church, if you just think about it, even though the emancipation of the slaves took place and they were set free, um, it didn't change racism. It didn't really change the culture of the country. It just said they were free. Why? Because there wasn't a spiritual part of that. See, unless God's in it, nothing changes. We can do anything we want politically, but it doesn't change the heart of people. And so racism is a sin. It's, not, it's a sin problem, not a skin problem. I'd say that all the time to people. I'm like, it's a sin problem. And it's never going to go away until repentance happens, no matter what. Okay? So understand that. In other words, it's never going away until Jesus returns. This is the reality of it. We need to move of God. That's what changes things. Women were also now brought into, by the way, our own church history, Wesleyan, is because we stood against slavery. We also stood for the rights of women and being educated and having a place in society. The very first uh, women's rally for the right to vote took place in one of our churches in New York. Uh, we are part of that history. And I'm proud of that. The fact that we see God's word for God's word and that we need to live it culturally as well as personally. And so we have stood for the truth of those things even though we haven't done everything right ourselves. This was a blue collar revival. I need to move along. Clergy and congregants both. No longer stuffed shirt elites. It's no longer about the show. It's about a move of God, obedience to the spirit and letting God move in our lives. You know the story? It repeats itself. The church becomes stale and stagnant. World wars come. Industrial revolution. And pretty soon America is pretty full of itself. We don't need God. We're a world power. We talk about God. We say he's on our side. 
but we don't go to church. We don't need to go to church because we're Christian. We're Americans. We become independently wealthy, one of the wealthiest nations in the world. We become self-absorbed, logical thinkers. We can figure this all out, scientifically driven, and pretty soon in our own nation, we begin to drift away from God once again, and pretty soon we're telling them to leave our courts, leave our government, leave our schools, leave our societies. We don't need God anymore. <laughs> Pretty crazy how we continue to do these things, isn't it? And here we find ourselves today in need of an awakening. The social and political and spiritual condition of our nation is upside down. Friends, look around you. The world is a disaster. There's brokenness everywhere. There's tension between the states and the federal government, the cities, the counties. There's racial tension. There's people tension. We're in a place where logical thinkers don't even know a male and a female. Seriously, I mean, is that not a tragedy or what? Look where we are. We have turned our backs so much on God that we think we can figure everything out and change everything we want to change. We're a mess. In the midst of this unrest, upside-downness, I see an opportunity. Church, I'm speaking to you today because I see an opportunity for a move of God right now man things aren't going to get better things aren't going to get better they're not because nobody is out there saying we need jesus nobody we think we can fix it in every other way in court system political system in understanding one another and having passion on one another no the only hope is jesus christ and there's no loud speaking Seriously, in our culture, there's no widespread call for people to repent and come to God. Therefore, things aren't going to get better until we do. And the truth of the matter is, God, let gas be $10 a gallon. So what? So what? We need to move a God. And until we get uncomfortable enough to get on our knees and call on him, then he needs to do whatever he needs to do to make it happen. Now, looking back at Pentecost, the first actual awakening that took place, there's something that's critical to you and I that's an element in everything that I've been talking about. Holy Spirit conviction, anointed speaking of the testimony of Jesus Christ, Repentance by the hearers, baptism of those that receive it, transformation of life, and the sharing of that life with others. Ladies and gentlemen, it's in every one of them. Starting in Pentecost, into the Reformation, into the first and the second great awakening, that's what started the move of God every single time. When you study the Great Awakenings in history, you will find that reoccurring theme. However, God uses different means to bring it about. There's one common element. People that are seeking Him above all else. 
Here's the main problem today. There are few voices calling out. God forgive us. And saying, church, we need to turn to God. Even less are willing to proclaim that Jesus is the answer. Repentance is what we need. Repentance as a, as a people, as a church, and as a nation. We're looking at every other opportunity and every other option except the one that's always been. Church, we can't start an awakening. We can't. Only God can do that. But we can respond accordingly of following what God says to him, to us, through him, and then God can have an opportunity for a move, but it requires us meeting him according to his ways. Man, I want to look and, and read to you from 2 Chronicles chapter 7. We are going all the way back into the Old Testament to hear what God has to say to us, and this that God says impacts us right here today, right now. Listen to it. Solomon finished the temple of the Lord. As well as the royal palace, he completed everything he had planned to do in the construction of the temple and the palace. Then one night, the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, I love this man here at church. I've heard your prayer, and I have chosen this temple as a place for making sacrifices. Listen, this is God talking. At times, I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls or command grasshoppers to devour your crops or send plagues among you. Then, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. And I will forgive their sins and restore their land. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. This is God talking, church. Man, listen. God says, I have chosen this temple and set it apart to be holy, a place where my name will be honored forever. I will always watch over it among you. Church, God proclaims it would be him who would bring the famines, the difficulties, the plagues. See, listen. See, church, there's so many of us, even in the Christian community, that talk about what the devil's doing, the Democrats are doing, the Republicans have done. We're talking about what everything, everything has done. Look, God declares to us in his word. I'm the one that's going to bring this stuff down on you. I'm bringing it down on you because you need to humble yourself and seek my face. God's the one. Church, God's the one. And see, until we see that, we're going to still be looking for other solutions. Seriously, think about it. We think it's all these other avenues and directions. No, God's like, I'm, I'm trying to wake you up. I'm trying to call my people. 
to understand who I am and how they need me. I look back and I'm like, wow, man, it's crazy, God, as I look at these stuff, that as I see not only in Pentecost, but as I look at the Reformation, I look at the first and the second great awakenings and I see how there was unrest in civilization. There was tension all around. There were issues between people. There was a lacking in the church and the word of God and the spirit of God's movement. It's like, oh man, are we ready? Man, the table is set. We are ready, church. Here's what God says to us. Humble yourself. Come to me in prayer. Seek my face. Repent and turn from your wicked ways. When we do that, God will move. God will move. We need a move of God. It's not going to happen because we circle a date on the calendar and say, we're going to have revival services. That's not going to happen. We can pitch a tent on here and invite everybody in Tucson. That doesn't mean there's going to be a revival. We need to humble ourselves and call on God until that happens. Nothing's going to change. And so God, bring it on. God, that's what I meant a little while ago. So what if gas is $10 a, a gallon? So what if we have to stand in line for bread? I'm not, I'm not joking, folks. I'm saying like whatever it takes, God, we need a move. We need you to come. We need a transformation of lives. It shouldn't take that. Church, we know what God says. Come, call on me, seek my face, turn from the wickedness, and then he will respond. Okay. That's what we got to do, isn't it? So with everybody looking around, everybody's eyes open. Are you ready to meet with God right now? Are you ready to say yes to him? Church, it's all about that. So I am going to ask you to raise your hands. But don't just raise your hands. I'm saying like, here I am, God. I'm here to seek your face, to humble myself, to turn from any and all wickedness in my life, to come to you because I need you. I'm asking the church to join me in seeking him. <laughs> asking God for a move and let it start here in me, in us. That God, you have an opportunity to move because you're God. You're in charge. It's all about you. <laughs> Today, God, we're here. Not about us, Lord. We're here to celebrate baptism today for Abigail. And God, thank you for what you're doing in her life. Those that we baptized earlier, thank you, God. Thank you for what you're doing in my life today. Thank you for your word and how amazing it is. God, we love you. Yeah. If you're in agreement, church, I'm just asking to say amen. 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 God, you've heard us. We're in our hearts, God. We love you.